Aloha everyone. Welcome to the Creative Entrepreneur Spirit Guide. I'm your host, Amel Moody. It's been a pretty turbulent week with Blackout Tuesday, all the rallies going on. It's pretty incredible. And I really love seeing this stuff come to the forefront of our attention as a global community because this is reaching far and wide. So I had a totally different topic in mind today, which I will address next week, but I think it's really important that this week I talk about white fragility because that's what I'm seeing the most all over the internet. And I think a lot of people don't understand what that is. So I wanted to take the time today to help people understand what white fragility is because it's not the job of melanated voices to continue to educate people about their own systemic racism, right? It is really not their job. They've been oppressed for centuries and it's time. It's time for people with privilege, people who are white. I'm half white. You know, I grew up in this system where your skin color and the varying degrees of your skin color are a marker for how much privilege you receive and how much you experience. And it's really the job of us as privileged people recognizing that we're privileged simply by our skin color. So I'm going to dive into white fragility today, and I'm going to be reading from a book called White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism by Robin D'Angelo. Really good. I'm just going to read very briefly from it today, but I will also include that link to that book in case you really want to get to know why you feel so fragile during this time. So there's a lot to get into. And just as a disclaimer, this is a really tough topic to talk about. This is not easy. I'm going to stumble over probably a lot of this because I experience white fragility on the daily. And it is my honor to work through all of that so that I can be a voice for equality. And that's what really addressing your white fragility is all about. How do we break down walls so that we can be there for each other? And really, you know, if you are if you are not able to see how your skin color has provided privilege to your existence, then you are susceptible to white fragility. Okay. The first quote that came to my mind in D'Angelo's book is, yes, it's uncomfortable to be confronted with an aspect of ourselves that we don't like, but we can't change what we refuse to see. So I just want to talk about how white fragility shows up. And so this is like a mini lesson, okay, a mini lesson on owning your own white fragility. It is an opportunity to go deeper and it's a meditation and for someone who really values meditation and values going deeper white fragility presents us with a very powerful moment to unpack our 
our own systemic racism. If you were born on this planet Earth as a human and you are not part of a marginalized minority that has had to fear for their life, for their very survival, you are an active participant in racism without even knowing it. And that is the essence of why white fragility even exists. Because that simple accusation is really threatening. Because you want to say, well, how can I be something? I don't even, I haven't, I'm a good person. Like, I'm really nice to everyone. And I don't see color. I'm not racist. I've never been racist. My mom and dad weren't racist. You know, these are the common things that we see. And that is why this is systemic. This is insidious. It lies under the surface. And it's so easy to pass by. But in fact, what we're missing is that there has been a brutal, bloody, raging battle going on, sucking the life of millions and millions of melanated people into an abyss because of our resistance to accepting that to be non-racist does not mean to be simply good. Yeah, that's rough. That is really rough, okay? And that right there is the essence of white fragility, is how rough that is. And so, you know, there are a couple of signals that, I, especially just watching in social media and how things are playing out and people are getting offended and people are angry, you know, this is a really great signal to know if you are experiencing your own white fragility. And that's an acronym. You might have heard of it. It's DARVO, D-A-R-V-O, which basically means that when someone is confronting us with our own racism, our own gaslighting, and our own ignorance, essentially, when we are being confronted with our own ignorance, we, without awareness, go into the psychological tactic, the acronym for DARVO. So we defend ourselves, and then we attack the person that's confronting us, and then we reverse the victimization and the offender. There's a lot of really good examples of that. If you just look up Darvo online, you will see a whole psychological library of how Darvo has played out in these situations. So that is an instance where white fragility becomes really apparent, right? So when you are being confronted with racism and you are someone who has benefited from racism unconsciously or even consciously whatever um it is your responsibility to keep your shit together because it is not the responsibility of the person who is calling you out on your ignorance to educate you and that is probably one of the most offensive things that occurs in these really hot spaces, right? We want to be the good white people that are helping the black people. We're, we're totally there. We're putting our black squares up on Instagram, which, I mean, that's just a whole nother story. But when we require people who are calling us out on our ignorance to educate us, it's just wrong. And when we 
in fact, def- try to defend ourselves, defend that racism, that systemic racism that has given us privilege in our life and deny its existence, and then to attack a person for how they're calling you out in your ignorance, and then to reverse the victimization because now you're the victim, you're crying, you've been wronged, you didn't know any of this, you're upset. And now they're the offender, right? Whereas you started out being the offender through your ignorance. So DARVO, okay, remember D-A-R-V-O. It's it's a psychological tactic that we use to defend our ignorance. And I encourage you to think of probably just in the last week, think of some time in the last week where you have had to defend your own your goodness, your goodness and your race, your non-racism, okay? And just take a moment and sit with that and look at your response and feel that, dig into that because that's your fragility right there and that is your opportunity and that is the door to your healing. So please do not turn away from that and um, go deeper, okay? Because that those situations are, are what cause violence in our society. That's what causes white rage, right? When, when a white person or someone of privilege offends through their ignorance and then is able to victimize themselves because they've been called out on it, which makes them angry. And this is where you see white rage come in. And then there's violence. So, you know, it doesn't have to go that far. It could be simply as it could be as simple as you just crying, being a white privileged person and crying about having been called out on your ignorance. That's real. And if you read this book, White Fragility, you will get into the section called The White Woman's Tears, which has been a powerful tool of oppression for centuries. So, all right. So there's all that. And like I said, this is a very hard topic. I can't believe I'm even talking about it, but I'm really happy that I am and that I'm brave enough to go here with you. I think white privileged people need help with white fragility, which is why I just give like super props to Robin D'Angelo for writing this book. So that's pretty cool. So I'm just going to read to you from this passage, kind of how she's addressing how she is free from the burden of race and how you as someone who is probably experiencing white fragility or is having to look at yourself in this way are also free from the burden of race. I'm going to skip around too, but this is from the same chapter. Because I haven't been socialized to see myself or to be seen by other whites in racial terms, I do not carry the psychic weight of race. I do not have to worry about how others feel about my race, nor do I worry that my race will be held against me. While I may feel unease in an upper-class environment, I will take for granted that I belong racially in these settings. I certainly will not be the only white person there unless the event is specifically organized by or celebrating people of color. And then skipping over to this part. As I move through my day, racism just isn't my problem. While I am aware that race has been used unfairly against people of color, I haven't been taught to see this problem 
as any responsibility of mine. As long as I personally haven't done anything I am aware of, race is a non-issue. This freedom from responsibility gives me a level of racial relaxation and emotional and intellectual space that people of color are not afforded as they move through their day. So that that is what we're dealing with here is being completely unaware of of the black experience because almost immediately upon birth young black children are taught to fear for their lives they are taught that they need to toughen up they are taught that this world is not for them and they will not maybe not that they might experience injustice but they will experience injustice this is a reality and so that bridge you know of of that experience the black experience knowing that your life and your equality and your justice is threatened from the moment you were born black versus being a white person and you know suddenly at 40 or 50 deciding that you are a good not racist person right you that is almost like taking up a hobby all right there's a lot to learn and that's where the hostility comes from and so when you're talking about anti-racism and you're talking about being a good person and you are confronted with your ignorance that's because you have had the luxury of your entire life to suddenly take up the cause of anti-racism at your leisure okay at your leisure and your pleasure when it's convenient for you and that's the difference because there are people hundreds and thousands and millions of people who are born and to use ibram kendi's epic book about racism in america they're stamped from the beginning and as a privileged person as someone with lighter skin you were not stamped from the beginning you have been unaware of your privilege your whole life For me, like the analogy that fits in with this is like imagining just a raging war that's been going on and bloody, nasty, right? It's like the Holocaust that just doesn't end. It doesn't end. It's not ending, right? It isn't ending. There's millions of people being killed. And then you suddenly decide that you want to go into a go into a concentration camp and um, help some folks, right? That that's what this is like, like deciding from privilege that you want to go into a concentration camp and help people who have been suffering to their bones to the ancestral bones for millennia and you walk in with privilege you know you're all fed and you're educated and you're not hungry you don't have anything this is like a hobby that you've decided to take up how do you even bridge that space like how 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 can you, how can you enter into that space? Well, thankfully, and also, um, and sadly, we have had a lot of work done for us as, as privileged racialized people, um, because so many authors have had to fight their way to create space for these topics to exist. You have Alice Walker, Toni Morrison, Maya Angelou, Ibram Kendi, Dr. Joy DeGruy, Bell Hooks. I mean, the list just goes on. P- 
people have written tons of books about the black experience. So before you decide that you would like to walk into that, this metaphorical concentration camp of anti-racism, do the work. Read Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me. Read White Fragility. Read all of these works of art that have been created to dismantle systemic racism. So that when you walk into that space from your privilege of deciding that you suddenly want to take up the role of being an anti-racist, that you know what that means. That you've already gotten comfortable with your privilege. And so this is really getting comfortable with how the system has benefited us. And, you know, I think one of something that I hear quite a bit is, is white people telling me how they were discriminated against. And I think that's cute, right? Because what I hear is that they were discriminated against in this very white, fragile way. So they're in a space where they're living in a colonized, in a colonized community and their skin color represents oppression. And so therefore they are being victimized. All right. And so this is where Darvo is coming in here again. They're being victimized because of their ignorance, right? So you're just a little kid and you're like, you're a little white kid in this colonized indigenous community and you're being racialized because you are unaware that your people are the oppressors. And so you're offended by your own ignorance, but because you don't understand, you have not done the work to unpack your own ignorance, you instead reverse the victimization and the offender. And so you become the victim, you feel wronged, you feel racialized, and then you hold that as a barrier. You hold that ignorance as a shield to understanding how to go deeper. Because you're angry, you're pissed, all that stuff. I get it. Totally get it. It makes sense. It's psychologically and anthropologically makes sense socially too. So I just want to say, I see your pain. I hear you. And, you know, I do not call people out directly in those spaces because white fragility is real. And white fragility is vicious. When you come across white fragility, you come across a white person who is defending their ignorance and blaming it on you for calling them out. That is a really rough space to be in. And that's why this podcast is actually pretty difficult for me, I mean, to articulate. Because this is so real. And it scares the shit out of me when I'm like hearing things and I want to say something. But I also have to consider the ramifications of community, friendship, and all this stuff. But, you know, I think, I think I've come to a point where I stand very clearly on this side of helping my melanated voices out because they cannot be alone in this struggle. 
And if I can be here helping white people understand their fragility as someone who is privileged themselves merely by my color of my skin, then I'm going to do it because that's all I got, you know? And I cannot claim to understand the black experience. Like no matter how many books I read, I don't know what that feels like. I don't know. And you need to recognize that too, you know, that you do not know what it feels like to fear justice and to fear the system that's supposed to be in place to work for you. To know that you are going to have to work 10 times as hard as anybody to just even be successful in this system. So thank you for listening. I really appreciate you spending some time with me and being open to listening to this very difficult topic. And like I said in the beginning, it is an opportunity to go deeper with yourself. And I hope you can do that. And I wish you the best. And if you want to talk about it, I'm here. Please email me. And I'm totally cool with open conversations about white fragility because this is work that is important for unity, for global unity. And if you want to put down your shields of ignorance with me, I am here with you on that journey. All right. Until next week, I will see you then.